Podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. We have a very special return guest today that I cannot wait to introduce and to dive into the meat of this episode. Um, so I'm just going to get right to it. By the way, this is Laura. <laughs> Jess will be joining joining us again next week. Um, and I get to interview Diane Sanfilippo today. And I said that right, correct? You did. Okay, good. Just making sure. <laughs> Diane is the owner and founder of Balance Bites, a certified nutrition consultant and two-time New York Times best-selling author of Practical Paleo, the 21-day sugar detox series and co-author of the Mediterranean Paleo Cooking. Is that the cookbook? Mm-hmm. Cookbook. Okay. Diane holds a BS <laughs> from Syracuse University and is certified in holistic nutrition from Bowman College, holistic lifestyle coaching from the Czech Institute, and Poliquin Biosignature Modulation. She writes for her popular health blog, BalanceBites.com, and is co-host of the top-rated weekly health podcast, The Balance Bites Podcast, available free from iTunes. In 2016, Diane released an updated and expanded second edition of her runway hit, Practical Paleo. I cannot believe it's already been that long since that came out. I, tell you I know. It feels like yesterday. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> Which has sold over a half a million copies and spent a total of 97 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. Her most recent book is the 21 Day Sugar Detox Daily Guide, which is still not that recent. <laughs> also, I, feel, I like... feel like a lot of podcast interviewers somehow got a bio of mine that was from last year. Ah. I don't know where everybody got this bio from. I'm like, uh-oh, is that what got sent out? That's real? not my newest book anymore. That was from last year. Yeah. yeah. But on January 1st, so mm-hmm. in, I mean, by the time this airs, it will be one week released. Um, the Keto Quick Start, A Beginner's Guide to a Whole Foods Ketogenic Diet, which I am so excited about because I, from having listened to your podcast and um, knowing your work, know that this is, I think, the guide that is really necessary and is kind of missing from this from this space, um, a very like approachable and practical guide to keto. So we're going to obviously dive into that a ton, um, and I'm really, really excited And it's fun to get to chat with you here and to kind of pick your brain because I know for myself, it's something that I dove into postpartum and it was incredibly healing for me. And so I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Um, But before we dive in, a quick icebreaker, Um, what has been the most fun thing for you so far this holiday season? Oh, holiday season. First of all, I live in San Francisco. So I'm like, (laughs) is it even holiday season? I feel like Um, the city gets a little bit festive though. Lots of lights and Well, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to say um, holiday lights are definitely my favorite thing. And I have them up in my office, which we were on video for a second. I'm not sure if you could see, but they're kind of behind me. And that's probably one of my favorite things is really just um, like getting that little bit of warmth and coziness in the house. I have a like a healthy candle that smells like, you know, pine tree. And we didn't get a tree this year because we were away for the first week of December. And then we're just here for a little bit. And then we're away again in January. And I was like, I don't know. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> to and they're do not it. cheap either. 
They're not. And it's a lot of effort. And we yeah. almost got a little like Charlie Brown tree just to have it. But um, I do like that. And I really love receiving Christmas cards. I wish that I were the person who had it together to send them. Right. But I do love receiving them. We have a mantle and a, you know, built in bookcase. Our house is built in 1924. So it's like that old San Francisco, you know, I don't know, cutesy kind of living room and I love putting the Christmas cards with the lights and I I like doing all of that so that's kind of a fun part for me and I I do like um I don't know I like helping people pick gifts for other people and I think that's fun too that's awesome yeah I gift I'm gifting is not my love language like I'm not very good at it I am when I see something and like it could be a random week in the middle I'm the same way but like having to go out and shop for people no so hard for me. No, at an arbitrary time where yes. I'm like, I now I have to just give you this gift because yeah. it's this day on the calendar. I'm not that person either. Oh, it's so We've hard. definitely gotten away from that in my family. And, um, and you know, seasonally, whether it's for the holidays like now or other types of celebrations, we're definitely like a quality time and mm-hmm. like a do something together, you know, my husband and I or my family. So I'll see my parents in Florida in January and we'll probably do a little, you know, have a dinner and yeah. it's like we're celebrating Christmas, but we don't exchange gifts or do any of that. Yeah, you know? I love that. It's all about for us, I think, but you're probably similar in this cooking. So I like to make food for totally. people. That's how yeah. I speak. And then also the, um, the experiences. So yeah. That's yeah. where, you know, it's, but it's, it's hard sometimes with family and generationally, some people really love the gift and uh, seeing the reaction. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh man. Okay. Well, that's fun. Um, so let's dive into the topic then at this point. So the topic today is going to be obviously the ketogenic diet and your book. And what I really want to hone in on is keto specifically in relation to hormonal health, because mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners are women primarily, and a lot of them are in some phase of the motherhood transition, whether they're thinking about future babies or they are postpartum or even maybe they're years postpartum or they're pregnant or whatever the case may be. So um, before we dive into that, though, I think it's super important that we just clarify in case anyone listening hasn't heard of keto or is unsure of what it is. um, What is keto? What does that mean to you? (laughs) So um, the word keto, short for ketogenic, is all it is is just a state of your metabolism. So if you are eating, you know, regular balance of food and you're getting carbohydrates in your diet in a fairly ample quantity, you will naturally primarily burn glucose as an initial fuel source. It's quick, it's easy, it's accessible. Um, your body is going to look for it very naturally. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not unhealthy. Uh, we know that excuse me, we know that for folks who have excessive amounts of glucose constantly present in their bloodstream, we start to get into some disease state and some issues with type 2 diabetes and some other problems there. And it can lead to a lot of issues, hormonal imbalances, etc. What keto is, is when your body does not have an ample or even very much glucose at all. I mean, it doesn't have to be a ton. It doesn't really have much at all. Um, and it's going to turn to an alternative fuel source because if you don't provide it with sugar, carbs, glucose, it will still function. It will actually function really well. Some people would argue it's our natural, you know, state. Some people argue it's a preferred metabolic state. I don't really want to argue at all. So (laughs) just like, I love that. (laughs) It's just a different state and it works great for some people and for other people it doesn't. But it just means that instead of in the moment where your body is looking for fuel, 
what the natural, again, default state would be when carbohydrates are present is it's looking for glucose. It's this default state where it's looking for metabolites of fat, which are called ketones. And it's, I mean, I just like to describe it that way in terms of like, this is physiologically the thing. This is what it means. This is what keto means. Because a lot of times people say, is this food keto? Is this food keto? And I'm like, well, it's not whether or not a food is keto. It's does it support your body maintaining a state of ketosis is really the question. And there are a lot of foods that somebody might say, oh, that's not keto because it has, I don't know, 10 grams of carbs in a serving. And I'm like, well, you can't actually say whether or not for one person that food might kick them out of ketosis or not, or for how long. So that's really it. It's really just this metabolic state where your body is primarily looking for metabolites of fat known as ketones as a a fuel source. That's it. Um, it's, it's not more than that. People right. like to think it's the only way your body can burn body fat. People like to think you can only be in ketosis if you're eating keto and trying really hard. Mm -hmm. Lots of folks wake up in ketosis every single day yeah. because we're in a fasted state. Our body, if we were looking for glucose all the time, if our body's metabolism was looking for glucose all the time and we weren't like literally eating all the time, um, we would have a lot of trouble with that. And there are also different types of activities that we do where our body does burn fat for those activities. So it's a big, deep conversation and it's kind of hard for me to clarify it in, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour of verbal explanation, mm -hmm. which is why in the book, I really get into the concepts of like burning fat for fuel versus burning ketones, um, being keto adapted versus fat adapted. Some people think that unless you're keto adapted or you're in ketosis that you just can't access body fat. And it's not true. Like for years, people have burned body fat and lost body fat off, you know, lost weight without being in ketosis. But we can talk about specifically some of the other benefits of ketosis as we go on. I love it. And I, I appreciate that you're kind of, because I feel like keto has as of late become pretty trendy and mm. also in simultaneously become pretty dogmatic. And I feel like you're taking a lot of the dogma away from this style of eating and just the word in general, it's kind of giving the word less power and talking mm -hmm. more about the like nuances of eating a certain way or the benefits that come with it. So I, I appreciate that. I think yeah. that's awesome. So um, what led that's you? Actually, oh, yeah, yeah that's ahead. actually one of the reasons why I wrote the book was yeah. the idea of the dogma around it. Mm -hmm. And you know, on the positive side, social media is an amazing thing. It spreads information. We spread information person to person, which I think is fantastic. Um, I think there's a big downside to this like social sharing of information in a sense, because what I see and, you know, I'm going to give the caveat of like, I'm not a hater. I don't think it's like bad. I don't think the people are bad. I'm not I don't feel negatively about anything. It's just as a very black and white objective view when information about a way of eating or a way somebody lost weight is spread by the people who did the thing, but not necessarily um, knowing some of the nuances or knowing a view of nutrition that's more holistic in a sense of like, here are other things that also work for people. You know, people get tunnel vision. They're like, well, I did this thing. I lost 100 pounds. It worked for me. You should do keto and here's how to do it. And again, like, I don't know specific people like this person says this or this. I don't know. I'm not like steeped in the community in that sense. But I what I hear from people who are interested in keto is like they follow this one person or they're in this group. And this is the way they were told to do keto, whatever it is. 
And I kept hearing different things, specifically an aunt of mine was like, I want to do it. It sounds like it'll help me, but I don't know that I can eat all that fat or I don't know how to add enough fat to my meals. Like all the things she was telling me, I was like, none of that is true or necessary. And um, that really pushed me (laughs) to want to write the book because I'm like, people believe things that aren't true Mm -hmm. about keto. And I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast is a Leah Remini fan like I am. I didn't ever watch King of Queens when it was on, but I'm obsessed with the way she's trying to like break up the whole Scientology thing, knowing how small that community is now. I'm not that scared of people like freaking out at me, but yeah, (laughs) um, it really hit me as I'm learning about that whole mindset thing, how similar the dietary world becomes where people not only look for a guru, they want rules that work to follow. And then they want to tell everyone else, follow these rules. And if you do, it'll be right. You'll be right. You're a good person. It'll work. And if it doesn't, then you did something wrong. And I'm like the opposite of that. I'm like, no, no, this doesn't work for everyone. Yes, there's a way to do it. That's kind of more accurate physiologically. And if you really stick to it for, you know, in earnest for X amount of time, it should work. If it doesn't, then that's not the approach for you. It's not like, you know, you failed the the diet. It's just, it doesn't work for you. So if physiologically your body's not responding as we expect, then take a different approach. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Um, it's not, a, it's yeah. not a reflection of your morality as a human, <laughs> whether or not this works for you. No. And, and I think too, some people feel like, well, I did it wrong. I should keto harder. You know, we saw this with the paleo community, like I'm not being strict enough. And it's not really that, like, I think there's two sides to it. One side is like, if you're not actually following it, the way I'm describing, I can't, I can't really help your body get into ketosis if you don't do the things that will get it there. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you don't do the things that get it there for the three months that you were trying to, then there's a reason. And maybe it's not for you for a lifestyle reason, not just a physiological reason. I mean, that's like a whole other topic of it doesn't work for some people because they don't want to do it. Like it's not fun for them. It's not enjoyable. They don't like the food then that's not for you. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, totally. there's two reasons why something could not be free. Psychology of food too. And if your headspace is in this place where like this sucks, I don't want to be doing it. I don't like the food. I'm not happy. That impacts the way the food is utilized in your body. <laughs> like nobody's comfortable for the first couple of weeks, right. right. Of making dietary change. So I do kind of want people to stick it out. Yeah. Like, listen, give me at least a few weeks to a month, stick it out because Nobody likes change. I mean, it's hard to change. But anyway, we can we can get into all of those things. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I just saw this space for let me break down the reality of what to eat, how to do this, how to do it with real food. I was eating keto when I wrote Practical Paleo. People just weren't all talking about it. There were a few people talking about it. Rob Wolf always talked about low carb. I had eaten lower carb for a while. Um, I know Jimmy Moore had talked about some topics around this, and he had written one of the first keto books that was kind of more in the current space, Keto Clarity. Um, And I had been eating keto for about a year and a half, starting in late 2010 through early 2012, um, to the point where when I finished writing the recipes for Practical Paleo, I looked back and I was like, I should probably add some carbs here because (laughs) recipes were all what I was eating. And I added a few. And so people will notice, well, in the second edition, there might be more that are incorporated because I kind of had a different, you know, okay, let me reassess and get some more carbs in here. But um, in the first edition, there's just a few recipes with like sweet potato or, you know, squash. And um, it really wasn't very carb heavy. So 
had been eating this way for a long time on and off. And I was not going to write this book. I was like, I don't know that I need to like have my voice in there. And kind of what you were saying, it became apparent as I'm getting back to this original point I was making where I feel like the reason keto has become super popular is lots of folks are having great success with weight loss. And then those before and after pictures are shared and it's extremely compelling. Um, and then the movement just kind of takes off. Right. Right. And I love that it's a movement of the people. I love that it's not like one person who owns it. And that's kind of how paleo was. Like, I really like that it's not just, you know, Atkins or just like a name. Um, so I think that that's really great. But I, I did see the need for like a balanced voice, somebody who can provide real true information about how this whole thing works that, again, is not dogmatic in the sense of um, I'm only ever going to teach you about keto. And if you don't do it right, that's, you know, that's it. You kind of fail. Um and I did grapple with the idea of like, well, I wrote this this paleo book, not worried what people would think. Like, I don't really care about that. But it was more this, like, do I just write a book about every, quote, diet that comes, you know, to the surface? Is that is that who I am? <laughs> um, and it, it was actually a struggle for me. I was like, I don't, do I need to say what I have to say about it? Like, do, does people, do people always need to hear my opinion? <laughs> way of eating, you know, yeah. um, as if I'd written 10 others about different diets. So let's just get a grip there. But I'm waiting the reality, for your veganism one. That will never happen. <laughs> that will never happen. But, um, I did listen to the community. My 21 yeah. day sugar detox community was like, you know, they kept saying, I'm curious about keto. I, I, you know, I had great success with the sugar detox and I wrote that as a three week program, but they were curious about keto. And, you know, I like Leanne Vogel's approach to things. I think she has a very sane, balanced approach. She's pretty non-dogmatic. Um, but I was like, well, I would feel very safe sending people to a book that I've written that oh, yeah. really gives you the context I want you to have that helps you understand what it's there for, what it's not. Um, and I asked some of my peers, I remember, I think I talked to, um, Jess, your co-host about it yeah. at one point. And I think I talked to, you know, maybe five other of my trusted peers. I was like, what do you think? Like, should I write this book? And they said what you said, you know, it's like practitioners, other health coaches, nutritionists are really finding value in having a trusted voice. That's going to teach this whole thing from that perspective of like, let's talk about this from a real food point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, and really focus on that and make sure that people are doing this in a healthy way. I love it. And on that note, I guess it kind of leads me to this thought about short-term versus long-term. And I think you talk about that in the book, right? Because it doesn't have to be a, once you start keto, you do it forever kind of approach. Um, have yeah. you seen, do you think that one is preferable or what, what are your thoughts on that one? I really think it depends on the person. Yeah. And I'll always say that. I mean, the context matters. And I think, you know, for some people, look, I think, learning different ways of eating is always valuable. Even possibly somebody taking a week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month avoiding animal foods just to experience it. Like I'm not a proponent of animal foods free eating. I don't think that it's ideal for optimal human health. But I think that all of these different approaches as sort of practitioners and as sort of um, just human beings who want to experience different things, it's kind of like saying, um, I don't like soccer. I don't like playing soccer. If you've never played soccer, mm -hmm. it's like, well, how do you say that. So, so knowing how keto works for your body, I think it's 
great to try it and just see how does it work for your body and giving it a shot, as I said, kind of in earnest for at least a month, if not really more like three, mm-hmm. um, because it's a valuable tool. And I also think, what if, and I, I'm not like a doom and gloom doomsday wanting to wish anything negative on people, but what if you're perfectly healthy right now, or you're dealing with a couple of things, maybe it is, as you mentioned, some hormonal imbalance, um, and, but otherwise, you know, not really a disease state. What if there's a time when yourself or someone close to you is diagnosed with a type of cancer that can benefit from a ketogenic diet? I think having had the experience of doing it and knowing how to help someone else is so valuable and it's super overwhelming. If that person, let's just say they receive that diagnosis and, and they know, or they had heard that keto could help in the middle of being diagnosed with something like that, you really think that's the time that somebody wants to figure out what to eat. That's like, can we add more stress on top of stress and upset? Um, and then being, you know, then trying to figure it out. I just think that's a cool thing. It's a good skill to have. I'm like a skill acquiring person. (laughs) I like to learn different things. So I, you know, that's maybe a side note and a tangent that a lot of folks never thought about, but I think that it's valuable to know how to eat different ways because, you're just like a more skilled person as a result. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I think it's empowering. And it also, I think it actually creates a lot of freedom when you try a bunch of different things and you can pick and choose what works well for your unique body. Then you're empowered by information versus stuck by, you know, lack of information or you you do one thing for so long that you're almost scared to leave it. Um, By trying a bunch of different things, you can, you know, in a season of life, what might be best to fall back on. Totally. And then you can choose So to your point about short-term, long-term, you can choose for a lot of folks, eating keto over the winter is super natural. We don't have an abundance of sweet food. Um, We don't often, just depending on where you live, if you have seasons or if, you know. (laughs) Not like us, necessarily. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, some people are a little less active or do different types of activity. Maybe you're not like running outside as much. Maybe you're doing a little more indoor weightlifting. Um, And I think it's totally legit to approach things seasonally. And I think it's totally fair to, in the summer, be like, I do not want to eat keto. Give me all the cherries. Mm -hmm. I don't have a, I don't think carbs are bad. You know, I'm not that person, but I think it's, it's valuable for that. So the flip side is, as a lifestyle, I do think that there's a way to do this in the longer term where you would possibly be in ketosis most of the time and at some times not and be able to kind of replenish some carbs so that you're using that glycogen storage for different types of activity. Most of the things that we do throughout the day would very easily just require burning fat for fuel, just kind of like sitting, walking around, light work around the house, um, even activity at the gym that's not high intensity does naturally Um, do better burning fat for fuel. So actually being in a state of ketosis is pretty great for almost any type of thing that we're doing. Um, But high intensity activity does require some glycogen unless you are deeply into being keto adapted. But even still, I think we're at this point where that those super high, like a um, sprinting level, you know, or that hit activity does require some glycogen. So there's a way to make this a lifestyle longer term where you're a little bit more flexible metabolically, where maybe you're in ketosis most of the time, maybe you replenish some carbs and you have the ability to tap into that if you need it during activity, but most of the time you are just basically burning ketones as fuel. And um, I talk about that in the book, how to add carbs. I think that for sanity's sake, uh, for most people having these, I don't know, just more relaxed days now and then where you're not either thinking about it or worried about it or counting or paying that much attention, 
I think it's really helpful for the longer term. Um, and there's very few people for whom that can be problematic and or potentially dangerous. So someone who's a type one diabetic, I don't recommend dabbling with keto. Like if you're ready to be keto and just stay there hundred percent of the time, that's fine. I think that for the most part, a type one diabetic or a medication controlled type two diabetic, um, would do really well to stay very, very low carb and not be that concerned with ketosis all of the time. <clears throat> and then if you are type two diabetic, um, you know, keto is extremely therapeutic, but for either of those folks, this is where the diabetic ketoacidosis question comes in mm. because people are wondering, like, what's the difference? Diabetic ketoacidosis is a state that is only possible when your body cannot naturally respond with insulin to glucose coming in. So what happens is glucose is high and ketones are high at the same time. It's not possible for that to happen in a you know, quote, normal functioning human with the pancreas that secretes insulin and cells that listen to the insulin and actually pull glucose from the bloodstream in a proper way. So if your body works that way, you don't have diabetes in any form, you're not at risk for that state. But if you do have diabetes, you're at risk for that, especially type one, um, because that's really, you don't have any insulin production at all. So that might've gone a little bit like down the road, but in terms of lifestyle, mm -hmm. it does not need to be all or nothing. You know, we experienced that with paleo too, where it was like, people look at you funny if you ate something that wasn't paleo once. And you're you. like, yeah. I told you this was religion that I signed a billion year contract for. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I just watched an episode of that thing last night, but um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. The, just because you're eating to be in ketosis most of the time, you there is no problem with you finding ways to like have those carbs, enjoy them, use them for physiological upside and also for, you know, personal pleasure and enjoyment and then kind of go from there. Yeah. And I think it's such a cool way to, I use a lot with people that I work with to help them kind of actually, I use keto or super low carb, high fat as a way to get people more in tune with their bodies, cravings and sick. Hi friends, Laura here with some exciting news. Four Sigmatic has come on as a Modern Mamas podcast sponsor. We are so excited. If you've been following along with my Instagram stories, especially, you've seen that I use this stuff every single morning. The Lion's Mane Elixir is my absolute favorite. I add it to my boosted coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity, and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like Rishi for calming cordyceps for an energy boost and Chaga for an immune boost. Along with those elixirs, they also have really cool blends. I love the Lion's Mane and Coffee blend when I travel because I don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high quality coffee. I have it ready to go. All you need is hot water, you mix in the blend and you're set. They have caffeine, caffeine free options as well, like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow and all, they have all kinds of incredible blends. I cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website, find whatever mushroom blend is, is going to fit with your lifestyle and give it a try. The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners, you guys are special, you get 15% off any order. If you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash modern mamas or simply type in modern mamas, all lowercase, all one word at checkout, you get 50% off. Check it out, see what fits your life and happy shrooming.
signals and needs because when you cut out the high carbohydrate foods and the highly processed foods, which, which kind of just happens with ketosis, it's so much easier to tune into what your body actually needs. And so even just using it as a reset, I feel like can be so powerful to help us kind of figure out what, how our bodies run best. Yeah, totally. And I, I talk about that in the book where it's like, give me X amount of time and then make a decision from there. Like, you don't need to stay with this. You can come back to this. You can use it as a tool. Um, you can reset. Like you said, maybe you discover, you know what? I do feel better if I eat keto, like breakfast and lunch. And then maybe at the end of the day, I sleep better if I have a little bit of carbs with my dinner. Or maybe, you know, breast milk supply does better by having a bit of carbs at dinner, but I don't feel great if I have them all day. Like, there's just a lot of ways to play with it and customize in a way that feels good for you. I love that. Yeah, I went into, I never, I made sure never to say keto or, because I wasn't testing anything, but right at the day after Christmas, I like, on Christmas Day, I woke up and I, I just, you know, I had been eating a lot of holiday treats and carbohydrate. I like had chocolate and a little bit of eggnog in my coffee Christmas morning. And I fell into the gnarliest brain fog and I was like, I'm done. And so for mm -hmm. me, I jumped in and I felt immediately so much better. Um, and then, you know, I did it for almost a full year and then now I'm starting to crave, like I ate some fruit over the summer and now I'm craving a little bit more starch. I'm adding more like butternut squash and whatnot. And it's just, it's been such a cool experience testing things out because I started add, I added some stuff in early on after I had just switched over and I the brain fog came back immediately and now I'm like okay how much can I add and still feel good and finding my happy place without right. worrying about dogma or key, like measuring ketones or you know any of that stuff it's just been very actually very empowering for me I think that's great. You know, it was interesting. Um, several weeks ago, I was asked to work on an article, which I think at some point will be in a men's health publication. I don't know if it's men's health online or in print, but um, comparing Atkins to keto. And really, they're kind of the same. But what Atkins did was, you know, brand his form of ketosis, um, which is not an uncommon thing to do with different ways of eating. Like even for the 21 day sugar detox, like I'm kind of branding a low sugar way of eating and that's fine. Um, and his approach, which I think people kind of didn't follow through with was exactly what you were talking about, where he asked people to slowly add back carbs and he was doing it until they, you know, spent a week or two at a certain level and, maybe gained weight instead of maintained their weight loss. But I think for you, that's such a great point where it's like, I'm looking for the mental clarity. So if when I add this many carbs, I no longer have it. Now I found my threshold. And if women are looking for that hormonal balance and they are adding carbs to a certain degree and feel that their cramps increase or that they're, you know, feeling moodier or more lethargic or any of those symptoms, then it's like you, you can fine tune and find the balance that works for you. And I think that that's totally legit. Like, I think that's actually the self-discovery that we kind of all need to get to and not be married to at the same time because it might change over time. Yeah, especially as females. And that kind of is a perfect segue into the hormone thing is our bodies change throughout the seasons of life and then also throughout the seasons of a month with our mm -hmm. cycle. And so I'd love to dive into it because I, you know, I, I hear all of it. I hear polarizing from like a keto healed all my health issues to mm -hmm. keto threw me into adrenal shutdown. <laughs> and so I think it's important that we kind of clarify um, keto and hormones and how they can be so how keto can be so impactful and beneficial, but then, you know, how to pay attention to signs that maybe it's not working and, and all of that. So what are your thoughts there? So, um, I've been thinking about this because a lot of people ask about this and I'm not sure I've verbalized it in this exact way 
in any other interviews yet. So lucky you. First um, here, guys. <laughs> you're hearing it here first. I love it. Um, I think a lot of times people pin the problem on keto when that's not actually the problem. It's just the thing that they happen to be trying and it may have pushed something in one direction or another. So let me say what I mean. Um, a couple of things in the book, I do talk about keto for women and I have <clears throat> one, two, three, eh, like three or four pages on it. It's not a huge part of the book, but I do address it because I know there's a lot of questions, but I need for people to remember that there are other factors at play than just the carbohydrate intake. Okay. So like I would say, sure, there's a percentage of women for whom low carbohydrate intake physiologically is just not going to feel good. It's not going to keep you balanced or feeling your best for a variety of reasons. It's all about the terrain and the context though. If you're a super high stress person, if you train really hard, um, if you are at all underweight already, if you have any propensity to under eating, which doesn't require that you're underweight, because I have friends who I'm like, they, I realize that naturally, unless someone's prompting them to eat, like they forget to eat or they get busy. And I mean, I, I don't understand that way of living, like how convenient, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, so some questions I ask in the book, are you over consuming caffeine? Are you under eating? Because that's really common. Sometimes one of the big benefits of keto is that it can suppress your appetite. <clears throat> and, and I don't mean to a point where you don't eat what you need. I mean, a lot of us get hungry or think we're hungry more often than we really are. Um, we can be bored. We can be stressed. We can be tired. But if if we really do have a dulled appetite in, in a positive way, meaning our body has learned how to look to stored body fat for fuel, and that's a good thing, then it does help us um, not reach for things all the time. If we're a little bored or stressed or anxious and we don't have that twinge of hunger, it's helpful because we realize, oh, I'm not actually hungry. I'm just kind of anxious right now. Right. And that really happens. But um I find a lot of women who are struggling with keto, they're under eating or specifically they're under eating protein because there's a really big myth out there that this should be super high fat in terms of what you put on your plate. Um, and that's actually not necessary. I'm not saying low fat by any stretch. It, we're just not talking 80% fat necessarily. We can get into that, but um, are you over consuming caffeine? Are you under eating? Are you fasting too often? So again, all of these things are going to add stress to your system. And as women, as you know, and I'm sure you talk about a ton, our hormones are really sensitive to the effects of stress. And if you're having negative effects of eating keto, I think pinning it just on the fact that your carbohydrate intake is low, I just think that's a little bit misled. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Like, and I, think I don't think it's the scapegoat. That's exactly. It. And I, I think that they want to identify the state of ketosis as a cause for these problems, mm -hmm. but it's not that it's all those other variables that are contributing to the state of ketosis or, you know, do you know what I'm saying? So anyway, I think that all that can come into play. And the reality is getting your blood sugar stabilized, getting your um, appetite in control, getting your mental clarity to a really positive place. All of those things are amazing benefits of keto. And I think that a lot of women, to your point, 
hugely benefit from it. Um, women dealing with PCOS, different hormonal imbalances. I've even had tons of women who are on the sugar detox where we don't specifically try to get people into ketosis on that, but sometimes they probably do. Their menstrual cramps lessen. Mm -hmm. um, they're just feeling so, so much better. Excuse me. Lots of talking, I imagine. Yeah, the air has just been so dry <laughs> here, so and I don't have a humidifier in my office, so sometimes I'm talking, I'm like, hold uh, on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think that it's great to follow something and know what's going on and know how to troubleshoot and know when it's not working for you, and at the same time, not using it as a scapegoat. Um, I've had some women talk about, like, worrying about low thyroid from keto, um, some women talking about hair loss. And I would love to see what exactly they're actually eating because I will never say it wouldn't happen um, by following what I recommend. But I really strongly believe that if you're building your keto plate the way that I recommend in the book, where you're starting with protein, you're making sure there's adequate fat, you're getting veggies, a variety of those veggies, and you're adding herbs and spices and making sure that what you're balancing on your plate is, you know, colorful and nutrient dense and all of that. And you're not under eating and you're not under eating protein. I, I feel like I would be really hard pressed to see it not working for the vast majority of women. Um, so I would like to see that. So this is not me saying you're doing it wrong. It's just me saying I would like to see it done this way. And then I'm happy to be proven wrong if someone's like, no, this really just doesn't work. It doesn't work for everyone. But I do want people to do it in in this kind of way and not just like burger patties with cheese. Yes. And that's it's it. It's about the micronutrients as well as the macronutrients. And I think that is yeah. so important. And I love how in the in the book you have like a breakdown of the different types of um, non-dense carbohydrates and you've included some of the squashes and like there you've I think taken away the again the dogma or the demonizing certain food groups because I love butternut squash we call mm -hmm. it butternut here and it's one of my favorites <laughs> and I can still <laughs> eat low low carb and enjoy butternut squash and that for me this time of year is like I love the squashes and I still can feel well and I don't need to eat an entire squash but I can get that flavor and that texture and that I love like a warm salad adding it in there with the goat cheese and all the things and so um it's almost like I was reading through it and I was like ah, like validated and yeah. and I I'm still fitting within whatever dogma or, or like category that society has decided we need to have and the way that we eat and I can still eat the foods that I love um not that I wouldn't anyways but it's just you know it's nice to create again I keep coming back to the word freedom I feel like this book in a yeah. way builds freedom around eating versus more dogma which is the last thing we need I think that's such a good point too, because it's like, if someone immediately thinks that winter squash is too high carb to eat on keto, I'm like, okay, you're probably not going to mainline four cups of mashed butternut squash, but enjoying a bit of roasted butternut squash on a winter salad, mm. there's totally a way to fit that in and make it work. And that's exactly that balance. It's, it's healthy to do that. It's nutritious to do that. It's not going to kick you into this like sugar crazed state. Right. Um, and yeah, there, there is totally a way to do it. And I think that's kind of, that is the point, right? To find how many things can we like get away with in yes. a sense. And if we are aiming for ketosis, cool. Can I drink my kombucha today? Yeah, I can actually drink my kombucha and still be in ketosis. The rest of my day is pretty low carb and I'm kind of staying there and it's fine. So yeah. yeah. I just, I think it creates intention about the way that we eat and the foods that we choose versus just like, ah, it's here, I'm going to eat it. And I actually think again, that that's like, that's a powerful thing because now 
we are just cognizant of the food we put in our mouth and it's nutri nutrition and it's, you know, all of it. So I just, I think it's awesome. And I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on this book and, and to, you know, implement it because for me, it's always, it's it, again, I think it'll be seasonal, like probably after the new year as we're moving to the van, and I know we're going to be traveling a ton, honestly, convenience, it's really mm -hmm. easy to just eat keto and you're not hungry as often and you get a lot of calories in the food mm -hmm. that you do eat and it doesn't take a lot of space in the in the van. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking That's forward true. to that. And my husband's on board too because we're not going to be training the way we used to and life is just changing. And so I think it's important that we ebb and flow and that our nutrition and the things that we eat change along with that. So yeah. And you know, to that point too, for some people saying, oh, we're going to eat keto, that could sound really stressful when you're dealing with other changes. But since you've sort of done it before, you know how to do it. And that's kind of back to our point before, like, well, you already know how to do it. And so you're actually finding this might make things less stressful. hundred you know, percent. It really well, eases anxiety for me. I, I can tell, honestly, yeah. the two things that I can tell the most when I've eaten a little bit too much carbohydrate, especially if I have sugar, it's like mm -hmm. anxiety and um, brain fog. And those are like yeah. the two things that hit me. And so if I can get those two things out of my life, everything feels easier. It's, it's so crazy. And because I think sometimes people also assume that having any kind of quote restriction or like something that you're saying I'm not having would be more stressful. But because you now have that experience to have also the foresight, like actually I'm going to feel a lot better you know, figuring out what to do, we're going to be doing a lot of problem solving, right? We're going to be living in a smaller space, moving around a lot, doing that, knowing that you, so I do the exact same thing when I'm going to travel on a tour. I, for the most part, give myself a game plan. I'm like, all right, here's how I'm going to eat on my tour. And it's, it is liberating. There are not, not everybody feels the same way that with some rules come a lot of like freedom. But for me, making those quote rules for myself, because like you just said, I know how I'm going to feel and I know I'll feel my best if I kind of stick to this approach. Um, then there's less thinking and less decision-making in the moment when I've got other things I'm stressing about, like I got to catch my flight. I'm, you know, what time do I have to be there? All this other stuff. I don't then think, what am I going to drop in and buy at Whole Foods? What do, what do I order off the menu? It's not what do I feel like. It's like this is what I'm doing. I know it's going to make me feel good. And I kind of stick to the plan. Yeah. And as you do it, I, those are the foods I start to crave too. I, mm -hmm. I lose the totally. craving for the, the sweeter stuff, which I, I love. And it just makes, like you said, uh, just takes a lot of the guesswork out. It's one less mm -hmm. thing to stress about. And, totally. and I understand that it's not that way for everybody, but I think it's a, it's a kind of a cool place to, to get to. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it just takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, so I guess a big question we get a lot kind of segueing here is um, keto and postpartum. Um, mm. And your thoughts there, people think that it's going to totally dip milk supply. I can only speak from a personal experience that for me, that was not the case at all. Um, I think actually the super high fat really helped make my milk fattier. And um, my kid is super healthy, probably partly as a result of that. So do you have thoughts on postpartum, especially with hormones, because hormones are just all over the place. And I found for me that it was balancing. Um, but again, that's N equals one experiment. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about your thoughts in with keto in the postpartum period. Um, I think there's a few considerations to have here. One is how were you eating before? If you suddenly go from eating tons of carbs to eating keto because you're thinking, well, I just want to lose the baby weight, it, that your body might not be happy with that. Mm -hmm. It might not respond well, and you you might find that dip. I mean, 
Look, the caveat is always, it depends, context matters, everyone's different, okay? So that being said, these are the considerations. <laughs> um, there's that consideration. <clears throat> there's the other consideration of, like, what if you said, I wanna try this, and then you don't even want those foods, you know? So I think that giving yourself an arbitrary, like, this is what I'm gonna do, um, I think that that can be dangerous just emotionally, because then you just feel like this failure. Um, I do think that for some women, they experience that dip, in which case I say add back the carbs. If you're like Laura, where you don't feel your best with a super high carb diet, keep playing with the amounts and the types because you might also find, this is something Rob Wolf talked about in his book, Wired to Eat. You may find that you feel great eating butternut squash and um, berries and you don't feel great eating white rice. Like there like there are some people for whom different types of carbs feel better, work better. They either get brain fog or they don't. They either feel better fueled or they don't. So I think it's worth experimenting with that. Mm -hmm. I know that this can be a time when it's just like super overwhelming and frustrating. But if if you're committed to to eating this way because you do feel better eating this way, then those are things that I would take into consideration. Um, but I think it's also just super important to keep the quality of your fats really high whether you're eating for ketosis or not. I mean, one of the things I talk about in this book that this is a weird thing. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't write this in any of my other books, but this was one of the reasons why I did want to write this book because I realized I've never fully fleshed out before how I go through a process of choosing healthy fats, or at least how I did, you know, back when I thought about it a lot more often, instead of now just having kind of my go-tos and I know why they're my go-tos. But I think um, in this time, as you mentioned, if you are going to be eating keto, keeping the quality of your fats really high because fats are integrating into every cell in our body and into baby's body as it's being built. So if we're eating poor quality fats and look, I'm not going to tell people never touch a French fry at a restaurant because, life. you know, like <laughs> life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I have eaten my share, but if this is of concern to you, if you're like, I really want to optimize, I want to do the best I can. Fryer oil is not the best. That's probably some of the worst, especially at restaurants that are pretty much all using soybean or canola oil. It's rancid. It's oxidized. When it hits the fryer, then it's stuck in the fryer and being used for a week. That's really the poor, the, the most poor quality, the poorest quality oil that we could be getting into our bodies, aside from something like Crisco, which is, you know, pure hydrogenated vegetable oil. Um, those are the types of things we don't want to be taking in, but we do want to look at whole food forms of fats, egg yolk, wild caught salmon. Um, nuts and seeds, avocado, all of that good stuff that we can get our fats from in whole foods. We want to look at um, nutrient dense fats. So I really like for people who are super into coconut oil, which I'm again, not anti coconut oil. I think MCT has some great properties, but if you're looking for nutrient density, ghee is a better choice. It's also got a high smoke point. You can cook with it really easily. Um, you can spread it onto things if you want to spread it on things. Mm. But I think if we're pitting things against one another and looking for nutrient density, we're going to pick ghee over coconut oil in that case. So little things like that, um, olive oil instead of avocado. I think olive oil is more nutrient dense. I think it has a higher polyphenol content. Um, <clears throat> again, this is not like be perfect all the time. But if you're looking to optimize and make those choices, I think it's a good way to go and um, good things to consider. Yeah, totally. And like for me, I, 
I couldn't eat handfuls of nuts like that does or nut flowers like all that just doesn't make me feel well and a lot mm-hmm. of it's just tuning in like I'd rather eat a whole avocado and a bunch of ghee and butter yeah. and like yeah. for me I do really well with like high fat raw especially raw cheeses and heavy cream and so mm-hmm. like and egg yolks and I think part of it for me the easy the transition was easy because when I was pregnant all I was probably eating eight to ten eggs a day because that's all I I was sick and all I wanted was like eggs cooked in butter with covered in sea salt and then maybe like a little piece of bread seriously sourdough with butter more mm-hmm. butter um, yeah so the transition for me those are the foods that I wanted those are the foods my body were, was asking me for and so it was pretty easy for me this transition um, but yeah I I think the quality of the fat matters so so much and we can't you can't just eat like um, a bunch of almonds all day long. I mean, there's carbohydrate and nuts anyways, but, and then, and I can't imagine feeling really optimal there. There's not a lot of uh, nutritional value to that food. I mean, there's some good components, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's really natural. I mean, from what I've heard, lots of women have aversions to protein at different points during their pregnancy, mm-hmm. but I think that protein is a really important thing to focus on putting on your plate because naturally, especially if you're not eating keto, naturally what happens, I mean, we will gravitate towards fat and carbohydrate. Like if you're not paying attention to getting enough protein, you're probably not putting as much on your plate as your body could really use to feel good. Um, And I know also for moms, whether it's just postpartum or as the baby is getting a little bit older, um, it becomes super common for, you know, your nutrition to be last on the list. And I think it's great if women can get into a habit where you find something that's easy for you, that's really nourishing and feels good. And it's like quick and easy while it's healthy. It's like what you were talking about, you know, we're now you're used to it. Mm-hmm. It's easy enough. It's no big deal. I just have watched a lot of women um, just really struggle in that time. And if this can be a way that makes things easier for you, mm-hmm. if eating you know, mostly protein and fat feels good. And it's easier because then you don't have to like put a salad together or like spend time doing it. I don't know. It's just, I think if this makes your life easier at all, then go for it. Totally. When in doubt, if I'm like, I don't have a vegetable, I just eat like two big forkfuls of sauerkraut and I'm like, cool, got it. (laughs) (laughs) Cover tons of vitamin C and sauerkraut. It's such a great resource. Yeah. That's a good one. I love it. Okay, cool. Well, I think that helps a ton um, in terms of just the postpartum thing. And ultimately what it comes down to is like, assess out how you feel, how's your unique body, how's your milk supply. And then I think the book is going to be an incredible tool for women in the postpartum period because it gives the, the, like the nitty gritty on how to and what you should or shouldn't be feeling and tools that you can use and different, like with the foods just laid out there again, guesswork gone. Here, here's what you do and yeah. see how you feel. Um, I love it. So I guess what's, what's a big takeaway that you'd like people to take from this episode and from your book in general, if you had like kind of one wrap mm. up, here's what I, here's my goal, like my number one goal kind of summed up. What do you think that'd be? Um, I think keto is an amazing tool. It's really helpful for a lot of people. And I think it's worth knowing how your body feels eating this way with intention, because I do think a lot of people kind of end up in ketosis somewhat accidentally when they go paleo or something like that. So I think it's a great tool and worth knowing how your body feels doing it. And look, even with a book like mine, you're going to flip through the recipes and it just looks like real food. Um, It's you can eat all of this stuff, whether you want to eat keto or not try it, see how you do, um, learn about it. And then if after time it's not working for you, it's not working for you. Nobody is going to come after you and, um, you know, keto police you or any of that. (laughs) But I I do think it's a great tool to know and understand. And I 
honestly, you know, I wrote this book. I was talking to, um, you know, I'm sure our mutual friend, Cassie Joy, mm-hmm. about her dad went keto. And she was like, I just, I need a book to give him. That's like simplified that I trust. And I want everyone listening to know that if you have friends or family or loved ones or coworkers who are interested in keto, like you can feel confident and safe referring them to this book and knowing it's going to give them a super well-balanced real food approach without dogma and something that they're going to be healthier for kind of no matter what, like even if keto doesn't work for you or if keto doesn't work for that person, it's just not the thing that they love the best. They're still going to learn how to cook delicious food, um, how to keep it simple and kind of how to balance things out. So I think that that would be, that would be it, you know, just kind of see how it works for you. Yeah. If nothing else, just, it helps to cut the crap out of the diet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite parts of this book, you know, sometimes I always have a big say in the visual design, but this time, like the designers really kind of nailed it more closely than in the past, like right out of the gate. So it was kind of cool. But um, one of my favorite parts of the book is the keto swaps for everyday foods or everyday favorites. So to that point, it's kind of like you might just learn how to swap out different things Mm -hmm. so that you don't always have to lean on bread and crackers and all of that. So yeah, yeah. chips the palate. Cool. Where can people find you? My goodness. So um, all over the place. <laughs> I know. Like if you can't find me, I'm doing it wrong. No, I'm just um, but actually, uh, probably most people connect with me through Instagram, just at my name, Diane Sanfilippo, or you can head over to um, balancedbites.com um, or the Balanced Bites podcast for sure. And then uh, so this will be airing sometime the second week of January that we said. Yeah, the ninth. So, um, okay, cool. So sorry to San Francisco and Orange County folks. You missed me last week, but I'll be in Boca Raton, Florida, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, Washington, DC, Charlotte, Las Vegas, Denver, Kansas city, and Phoenix throughout January and February. And then Phoenix is actually like at the end of March. So, um, if you heard a city near you, as I rattled them off, come see me. I would absolutely love to meet you. Um, and it would be super fun to, you know, come learn about keto and, and hang out. I love it. And we'll just, we'll do a little share too before this. Uh, so people who are local up here can, can, they don't get, we don't want to get people getting mad at us. So we'll make sure that <laughs> people know ahead of time. Um, and cool. that's exciting. And we'll link to everything in the show notes as well, but i um, super grateful that you came on and shared your wisdom with us. And I'm excited to see you in just a few weeks in person um, in Florida, but in the meantime, enjoy your holiday and thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun talking to you because I talked to Jess last time. So this was great. I got to balance it out. (laughs) I love it. And guys, you can find me at laura.radicalroots, jess at jess.holdthespace. You can email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. We're so grateful that you're here and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Diane. Thank you. I don't know what to say. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. (laughs) 